The Women's Health Project is produced on Gadigal land as well as other parts of Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, Women's Agenda acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and future and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. You know, I had another man when I was pitching, like, stop me halfway through a pitch and say, ah, sorry, can I just stop you there, Alice? What right do you have to be doing this? Like, who are you? A 20-something woman to be, you know, bringing a medical device to market. So, yeah, I've, I've seen and heard it all. <laughs> that there is Alice Williams, the founder of Ovira, a women's health business that produces non-invasive devices for those experiencing period pain. Alice had no background in business before starting Ovira, She never had a nine-to-five job. But what she did have was horrendous period pain, as well as plenty of frustration around the options that were previously available. She came up with a business idea to create an easy-to-use device that women could discreetly use whenever and wherever they needed it. My name is Angela Priestley and this is the Women's Health Project, a special podcast series created by Women's Agenda and supported by Organon the recently launched pharmaceutical company dedicated to a better and healthier every day for every woman. This week, we are talking about femtech. And we're talking about innovation in the women's health space, as well as the female entrepreneurs who are identifying problems and needs in women's health and setting out to answer them. Through a number of different guests covering different areas of women's health from the startup space, we'll examine how women's health needs have gone ignored for so long when it came to investments and innovations and the massive shift that is currently underway to rectify this. Thank you for listening. You know about the gender pay gap, but there are massive other gaps occurring between men and women. That is the inventor gap, as well as the investment gap and everything else needed to see women's health getting the attention, the funding and the catch-up it needs to provide great care. What we do know is that when women are innovating and building businesses in this space, they tend to address women's health needs. Harvard Business Review's analysis of decades of biomedical patents published in 2021 found that those patents created by women were 35% more likely to benefit women's health than those created by men. The problem is that just 4% of biomedical patent inventions are created by all female teams. The issue is continuing. Just 12.8% of inventors receiving patents in the US in 2020 were female. And can you guess which areas of health have received more attention than issues like menopause and endometriosis across the more than 400,000 patents analysed from 1976 to 2010? Yep, they were the inventions with keywords like erectile and prostate. This continues across other areas of health innovation, particularly into health tech and entrepreneurship. That means there have been thousands of missed opportunities that should focus on women's health. It's such a men's club, let's be real. I met Alice Williams, the founder of Avira, at an entrepreneur's event a couple of years ago. She'd just completed the Startmate Accelerator program and had since gone on to secure millions in funding to support the business she'd created after seeing how electrotherapy could help with her own endometriosis-related pain. But starting out, she came across plenty of blockers. I think there's great branding going on at the moment as to like wanting to support women, but you still look at the stats, whether it's like within the VCs themselves of how many women partners are actually at the table having a proper say 
Um, and I still question whether even that is just great branding for themselves or women are actually getting a say at the table. And then outside of that is I had a man say to me, oh, yeah, I'll just give it to my nanny and see what she thinks. And I bet if a man came to them with technology, he wouldn't pass it on to his nanny. <laughs> he, would, he would learn about it and be interested in it. Still, Alice believes there has been a shift in momentum around women's health tech, particularly over the last few years. I do think there has been a change. And I think investors are more open to investing in women, which they should be, because if you actually look at the data, we make more money. So we're actually more successful. And it's probably because we have to work so much harder to like be semi-successful, to raise capital, to get a product in market. I was a solo female founder with no experience. I didn't have the flashy LinkedIn profile saying I'd worked at McKinsey. Um, I didn't have, you know, other investors who had already sent the single signal on myself. And it's now it's so funny because ultimately it's the numbers that do the talking. It doesn't matter, you know, what you look like or who you are. If you can sell something, then like that's all that matters. So, yeah, I can definitely feel it now. We get so many investors just reaching out to us coldly, like wanting to chat, but we don't need them (laughs) at the moment. So, yeah, it, it does feel nice, but it is kind of like you were the one who totally ignored me for like weeks and weeks and weeks and now you want to chat. (laughs) Femtech forms an important component of the wider space of women's health. It's a space that entrepreneurs without a direct medical background can look to get into. And typically and so often those entrepreneurs are female and aiming to solve a problem that they have personally experienced or a problem that those they care for have experienced. There are examples of femtech companies that have been created and are much celebrated here in Australia. Internationally, femtech is seeing massive startups focusing on women's specialised telehealth, fertility, wearable devices, support for pregnancy care and other areas. So the term femtech is believed to have been first coined by Ida Tin, the founder of a period tracking app called Clue. She used the term to describe and get more people interested in these emerging tech-based companies dedicated to women's health and research. She thought it would not only be empowering, but also make it easier for investors and the media to talk about and accept the businesses that are formed within this category. Megan Capriccio is the founder and CEO of the Femtech Collective. She's always wanted to work in women's rights, but after Donald Trump was elected president, she saw that one of the best ways to really support human rights was through technology, particularly how technology could intersect with women's health. She co-founded the Femtech Collective in San Francisco in 2017 to support more businesses in this space. The genesis of Femtech Collective was really acknowledging that there was this need for community in a very interesting space that had predominantly female founders, meaning, like you mentioned, fundraising was very difficult, just broader sexism for female founders and female leaders, but also brought these unique challenges when it came to regulatory issues with getting health tech through various government systems, and then more broadly, women's health being such a low task on nation's priority lists. Megan describes Femtech as being about the technology that supports, guides, and provides a community for women's health. It is expected to be worth more than $50 billion by 2025. Investors are increasingly keen to get a Femtech brand in their portfolios, And femtech-specific funds are emerging and media stories across business publications are increasingly getting excited about the founders in this space. But like all areas impacting feminism and contributing to feminism, Megan agrees that it would benefit from more diversity, particularly around founders. 
Femtech is female health technologies. It's applied to products, services, hardware, therapeutic drugs and vitamins, digital platforms, telehealth, consumer products, all with the thought in mind to improve or support women's health. Also including, but not limited to those who identify as cisgender women and gender or sexual minority women. But really where it has changed over the few years is really incorporating what does it mean to be a woman? <laughs> How far does the reach go? It's especially when we get into health, this dichotomy of gender and sex being such a crucial role, especially for the term femtech. Um, but what we're finding is really needing to broaden that out a lot more and who identifies or who could really show or use value for these products that may not fall into this stereotypical definition of women or identify as women necessarily. Digital health is another area that's booming right now. It's creating significant benefits for women and men, but it really is creating a lot of benefits for those with caring responsibilities and making access to healthcare much simpler and streamlined. Digital health also happens to be a space of entrepreneurship where women are represented in far greater numbers than other areas of entrepreneurship and where women are accessing capital and opportunities and doing amazing things. I spoke to Bronwyn LeGrice, the CEO and Managing Director of End Health, a not-for-profit digital health commercialization agency helping to accelerate the commercialization of evidence-based digital health technologies in Australia. Of the 166 companies on End Health's database, 52% have a female founder and 42% have a female CEO. These are numbers that far outnumber other accelerators and in other industry sectors. It could be that End Health is attracting the diversity, especially being founded by a woman and being predominantly female run. But there are other factors behind this too. I also think in digital health, one of the reasons we see a relatively high proportion of female founders, and this is different to medtech and biotech, by the way, is because we see a lot of clinician, carer and patient-led innovation. So our innovation doesn't come necessarily through an academic research pathway that you might see in a biotech. So it's not influenced by hierarchies that have existed for a very long time. Our founders come from tech, they come nurses, psychologists, you know, pharmaceutical professionals that come from everywhere. And because of that openness of where our deals and our companies come from and digital health, it requires really a really deep understanding of human behaviour to build those products because really effective digital health interventions nearly always have some element of behaviour change involved. I think there's a level of product base in digital health that's really aligned to the way women interact and view the world and build products because people have to love using them, but they also have to make life easier. So I, I really do think there is an element of diversity of where they come from. It's not through an institutionalised hierarchy, but also... I guess, a, a skill set that women bring or a, a view that women bring that is particularly useful in this space. Bronwyn meets many founders in the digital health space from all sorts of different backgrounds. But so often in digital health, ideas come from individuals who've worked in health-related areas and have identified a way to transform the work they do through technology. In many cases, it's, it's a lived experience trigger. That being said, we get founders who are from tech and say we're going to do something in the health vertical and they get a very rapid lesson in how hard health is. I've had people say previously on innovation panels that 
health tech's just like fintech, it's a regulated industry, but it's really not because if you get it wrong in health and you hurt someone, there is no recourse for that. There's certainly no recourse if it triggers an acute event that results in death. So there is a level of responsibility in health entrepreneurs and health entrepreneurship that doesn't exist in other sectors. That's why it's so regulated. So I'd love to say, oh, it's because we get lots of nurses and they see all this stuff in the front lines, but it's so diverse. I think that really inspiring thing, I've worked with a lot of patient founders, men and women who are people who've experienced the challenge themselves, whether they've been a carer or a patient. We see a lot of clinicians innovating because they see the problem and they just simply can't spread themselves around to support the patients the way they want to. So they look to technology to solve the problem. So it's very diverse. Women's Health Road is another business created by a female founder responding to a massive need in the women's health space that has been ignored for so long. That need is to connect services around obstetrics care for women. Now, it's not in the femtech or the digital health space specifically, but more simply, I see it as being in the care space. The founder is obstetrician Dr. Talat Apal. I honestly believe that the future of health is very collaborative and that, you know, that old-fashioned, if I might already call it old-fashioned, vision of a specialist in their room all by themselves, seeing patient after patient, full waiting room, I think is is a little bit outdated. The reason for that is that no matter how, in women's health, how much expertise you may have as a specialist, there are still areas that are better served by subspecialists or by people who do only that. And so what I did, Angela, was that I, I thought, look, I want to step back and think, why not look at the woman as a continuum, as a chronological thing? First, she's an adolescent. She comes through our doors and she may be having irregular bleeding. Then she's a, a, a person that's thinking of not having a pre- pregnancy. Then maybe she's someone who's thinking of having a pregnancy and then she's pregnant. Then she has a baby. Then she comes into, you know, hi- hypothetically, perhaps around the hi- heavy menstrual bleeding of perimenopause, all the joys of menopause. And then maybe a prolapse or a, you know, issues with incontinence. So if you look at that continuum, there are very few services that actually review women in that context. And then I wanted to say, basically, walk through our doors, we will sort you out. And if it's not a skill that I may be that good at or have that as a specific interest, I will buddy with a friend. And I've been very lucky in this space to be able to connect with very talented women who are icons in their subspecialty field or in their areas of interest. I feel overall women's health needs more funding, needs more recognition, needs less fragmentation of care. So even something as simple as when a woman is pregnant and we are writing in her white card, which is the um, antenatal card, I think, well, she's got a phone. But for some reason, we're still carrying this piece of paper everywhere, you know, which will have the coffee stains and will have the dog's vomit and the toddler's, you know, um, marks. So every time I see that card, I think, how have we failed women that we are still not in these days of digital technology and one million apps? Why is this woman still fumbling in the bottom of her bag to find that white card to bring up to me? So that's just one example that drains it home to me that, For some reason, we're still not at the top of the priority list. 
The growing interest in femtech, in digital health, in innovation around patient care and the care sectors, as well as in female health practitioners going on to become founders, is not only going to be hugely significant for women globally, but actually for everyone. Through my work on Women's Agenda, I've met so many female entrepreneurs with the lived experience of a health care need, one that either impacts themselves, someone they care for, their patients, a friend or somebody else. They do this with a level of passion and determination to improve the lives of others. And they produce outcomes that are excellent for women's health. We know that female founders, as well as female inventors and researchers in this space, are more likely to address women's health needs. There are so many opportunities here. And while we are yet to see a female-led Australian unicorn in the women's health space, and a unicorn would be a business that has cracked the $1 billion valuation mark, it's only a matter of time before we do. Such women's health unicorns are already emerging in the United States. Investors would be wise to really think about the women's health space and support the female entrepreneurs who are emerging here. The Women's Health Project is produced by Agenda Media, publisher of Women's Agenda. The project is editorially independent but made possible thanks to the support of Organon, the recently launched pharmaceutical company dedicated to a better and healthier every day for every woman. Thank you to today's guests for joining us. Thank you to our producer, Alison Ho, for putting the show together. And if you did like the show, you can help us out by leaving a review, which really helps others to find the show. You may also want to check out previous episodes and subscribe to the feed. Thank you for listening.